onward we go. I mean, so I mean, to, to the point of this, friend, uh, actually, a new friend of mine, Tom Barbalet, is here. He's originally from Australia, now from Silicon Valley, I guess, for the last couple of months. Um, and we're going to see if we can't go five minutes or so over, see what happens. Go, right. I wanted to sort of show you something that, that he's been working on and that, that relates to um, the different ways of using, using tools, basically. Whether you, whether, you use, whether you use what's there, looking at the evolutionary path of technology through, um, especially in, in the way we use graphics, or how you can go back back inside and do things in somewhat simpler ways, actually. I, I'm not sure if Doug's given you any background with regards to me or whether he's just throwing me in at the end. Uh, but I will give uh, a little bit of background. I guess the background of my uh, talk with regards to interface design is what do you do if there isn't actually an interface there? Um, basically, my background is, is very much with regards to uh, programming, but also with regards to uh, content as well. Um, in, I guess, uh, 95, 96, I started this thing called the Nevada Project, which was basically a large-scale simulation environment of a tropical island. Um, and the problem was that I got a public grant in order to continue, uh, but the application looked something like this. It was basically very simple line vectors. Unfortunately, it's running on a G3, so as you can see, the uh, simulation component is well, it's effectively black and white, color, uh, no color, um, and these little dots represented ape-like creatures that traveled around on the island. There was an ecosystem evolving on the island based on principles in quantum mechanics, but as a kind of visualization tool, uh, let's pause the best that you could do was something like this. Back then, you've got to appreciate that there were no 3D graphics cards, or what 3D graphics was available wasn't basically available for the end time user. Uh, and it was really problematic, particularly if you were going to uh, put it into schools or things of this nature to require them to run uh, silicon graphics boxes or things of this nature. There were models, particularly coming out of the uh, University of Houston to develop uh, virtual reality interfaces at the time for schools, but they all required pretty high-end STI boxes. Funnily enough, you could run it now on an iMac, so things have just gone progressively faster. I got uh, a relatively small uh, public grant uh, basically to develop a, a more uh, 3D environment. Uh, and my background is with compilers, with antiviral software. I started programming when I was about seven. Um, I'm still quite active with regards to getting children to program, and when I meet Doug on an occasion, I kind of fill him in. I think the issues with regards to programming is, is not with regards to the whole director versus C idea. It's just the fact that uh, if children start programming at a young age, they can uh, manipulate programming concepts in a way that children can play with uh, plasticine or blocks or things of this nature and ultimately change the future uh, in a way which really isn't available if you kind of pick up programming in, in later stages as you're kind of focused in, uh, in programming models. And uh, I mean, this is even true with people that see at university and things of this nature, that basically they're taught it in a course structure and they've got you know, other courses that they may be doing and they can't intertwine it as easily as, as a child can. Um, so anyway, I got a public grant. I sat in front of a wall for about uh, three weeks and I developed this interface. Again, it's running a little bit quickly, so let's just slow it down. The thing about this interface at the time was I developed it in isolation in Australia. 
Uh, and as I'm sure many of you are familiar with OpenGL and 3D games and things of this nature, unfortunately the screen doesn't really do it any justice. But what we have here is smooth surfaces uh, running in real time. In fact, it's running, it's running slower than real time. Move it up to real time now to give you some indication of the rendering speed. So basically this is just using optimized mathematics. Uh, it's not using any kind of graphics hardware and it was developed in, in total isolation in Australia, basically. Um, let's slow it down a bit again. And about... Um, so that's the, the key distinction is that it's not using graphics. It's not using polygons at all. It's smooth surfaces, basically. And it's using uh, a kind of mathematical skin model, uh, which is very different to the uh, polygonal narrative that we're in even today with regards to billions of polygons. There's nothing uh, analogous to that in, in this. Um, it's, it's much more a kind of low-level concept. And still not being exploited with graphics hardware. That's some of what I do over in Silicon Valley. Um, basically, uh, in about 97, uh, Apple, or some of the technicians in Apple, realized that I found a way to address the screen faster, so it took on the fastest frame rate uh, developing in, in relative isolation back in Australia, and they said, uh, I should come over and display this stuff. So I was over here in uh, 98, in 98, displaying this um, to Apple. Uh, and they were asking, you know, hair questions with regards to how I'd actually done it, and I kept relatively mum uh, with regards to a lot of that. Uh, however, they said, you know, we've got a narrative here where uh, uh, API, I think, was the company that they were using, uh, basically, to develop their graphics cards, and they couldn't implement new graphics systems. So, went back to Australia. Uh, I was a sponsored developer at the time, while finishing my physics and philosophy degrees. Um, so, basically, went back to Australia and developed a whole series of other bits and pieces of technology. I put a world map on this for uh, you know things like airlines, for example. So let's go towards the Himalayas. They were kind of cute. Oh, let's get out of the ocean. Here we go. The main thing, of course, is the speed. You can run this on a palm pilot. You can run it even on a colored Game Boy. So uh, when I was here, when I was in the US uh, in uh, August last year, for example, I went up to Nintendo in Seattle. Uh, and demonstrated this on the Color Game Boy. So if any of you are familiar with the Color Game Boy, it's really a Z80, Z80 based processor, uh, not uh, Rapid Siberia now. <laughs> Get down to the Himalayas. Anyway, so basically, uh, low level technology, very low level technology that uh, is, is totally against the popular trends developed in isolation. What happened was, uh, I was coming through New York, I think, in uh, September of last year, uh, and at the time I had an audio compression uh, system, which is similar kind of narrative to this, basically set specifications developed in isolation, and actually, you know, considerably uh, better uh, audio quality and reduction compared to MP3 and things of this nature. So, um, anyway, I was traveling through with that, uh, and Doug said, Show the old graphics stuff. Show the old graphics stuff that you developed and I had a little CD-ROM. And I think I displayed the board map to you. Uh, and then Doug wrote this article uh, without my <laughs> knowing about it. Um, and it was syndicated pretty heavily. Uh, we're yet to try and establish how many papers actually syndicated it. We were pulled off the wires. And I got about uh, half a million hits on the website in about three days. And my email was kind of officially flooded for about uh, two months afterwards. And then rather than coming back uh, to this part of the world about this time, I uh, came back almost as soon as I got back to Australia. Um, and uh, it's taken off from there. But I think the underlying narrative of interface and uh, 
programming in C is very important. Yeah, I mean, the, the title of the article is actually Analog is Better. And the point I was trying to make was that um, we've abandoned an entire line of, of graphics and audio evolution, which is developing analog, developing analog technologies. And instead, you know, we're creating graphics cards that have, okay, now we have the, the stored the sample puffiness, sample uh, scheme, sample this, sample that. We need bigger and bigger pieces of hardware and bigger and bigger chips in order to run it, where actually, if you go back and use, I don't know if this would work on an 8088 chip, but sure. it would. Of course, it would run on a CD, it would run on an ATL. What we're talking about here is, is the same, it's really it's something much closer to the vector graphics of asteroids. You know, where you're using simple equations to make stuff. Well, very simple equations here. If you see that you can actually change the island, we're using fundamental Fourier theory, basically, to change the shape of the island. What I've done uh, in recent months is progressed beyond, let's get it back to just a random walkover, um, progressed beyond this notion of closed island environments to a global simulation, uh, which, which takes a far larger data set, but again is you know, runnable on, on a, a relatively low end computer, basically. Um, the idea is, I mean, my background, uh, particularly coming um, you know, from Australia, is uh, with regards to getting computers that are 5, 10 years out of date, sometimes even 15 years out of date, and making them uh, do what uh, you know, the most modern computers are doing in, in totally different uh, methods in many ways. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the background with regards to programming and, and getting uh, older computers, basically, to uh, do uh, you know, relatively modern concepts. Right, I mean, the, the, obviously the political and business implication is that force upgrade cycle of current machines, the rationale has been so that you can do the kinds of whiz-bang graphics that new games and new, new uh, programs need, when actually it's it's not true. Yeah. Um, there's always tricks that we make the more people have access to technology, it's always very impressive to see it. Like, um, I guess the PlayStation is a perfect example. PlayStation games that are coming out now, the exact same hardware that was released several years ago, looks so much better than they did. When, uh, when the PlayStation first came out, they looked, because people figured out tricks and new, new ways, new, more efficient ways to use the rendering engine. So it's, there's definitely something to say, you know, we don't need to keep on upgrading these things. We just know how to use it better. Uh, it's a lot, it's a lot cheaper for for uh, all the Right. I mean, Intel is putting most of its R&D money now into finding artists and people who can come up with ways to use the P3 chip in such a way that people will want the P3 chip. Because they develop the technology first, and now they're looking for very memory intensive multimedia applications that possibly require it. You know, and that's, I mean, because he was talking about, you know, doing some talks at, at Intel or, or maybe working with them, you know, we kind of decided that's to. That's a different together. narrative. It's oil and water, basically. And I, and if, if, I mean, you're relatively, uh, you know, comfortably distant from Silicon Valley here. But if you ever have the opportunity to actually go into these companies with respect to what idealist as I've done and see the realities that these companies talk about and how distinctly removed it is from uh, what you'd imagine a narrative would be with regards to computer technology, it's actually quite disturbing. Um, do you have one when the monkeys walk around? I do. Oh, like visual, so you can see the yeah, monkeys moving? I didn't ring the city rooms. Uh, I can show photos of the monkeys. Because the other thing is, I mean, all the all the work he does is based in sort of um, evolution. So the islands, the islands evolve and are uh, 
And the, the, the monkeys about. Best I can do. I've got rented versions, but here I haven't seen any wrong with them. Totally unsure of what I'd be actually doing for those. So. Some notion of people knowing how to program. 
you get emails from people basically asking you to explain everything in a totally different way. And the open source movement actually requires people to maintain them. Uh, and I'm not sure of the ratio, but it's a substantial number of people per, you know, how many million lines of code. What I'm moving towards is a more public domain uh, ethos with regards to source code. You can get source code to a lot of this online now uh, through the website. Um, and uh, the view there is that on some level you need to be receptive to teaching people how to program. Um, you find uh, a lot of these sites are set up by one answer kids' programming questions. Uh, when I used to run the site before Doug's article, most of the people would actually come to the site because they'd be scrolling through the search engine, basically for virtual reality and concepts like this and programming. The people that would get back to me would be uh, 12 to 16-year-olds uh, uh, who basically were starting to program in C, or starting to program in BASIC or Logo or even Java, uh, and wanting to have some kind of feedback. And there's really no information out there on the web that does that currently. Um, I mean, uh, communication with Wozniak back in uh, Silicon Valley and a long part of his narrative after he got out of Apple was teaching kids to program, teaching kids to kind of re-explore uh, uh, the computer interface and actually become masters rather than uh, users, basically. I think with regards to pulling apart hardware, and, and I mean, it's analogous in software as well. The problem with modern-day operating systems is that they're increasingly loony kind of complicated. They're not even complicated in the logical sense. They're complicated in the sense that they can become uh, proprietary and also in the sense that the companies that maintain it actually make money out of getting uh, coding companies or whatever to come back to them for feedback. So with regards to teaching kids to program on modern day uh, operating systems, it's, it's a kettle of worms, basically. There's a whole lot of steps. Uh, the, the idea is that basically this was a kind of technology incubator which, which no money came into and uh, all this kind of technology evolved. So uh, there are, for example, the audio compression component, there have been lots of spin-off technologies from just this whole idea of the simulation island. Um, and I think that where it goes now is, uh, is you know, is a star-like picture of various bits of technology plus the Nirvana 2 idea, which is the bringing back all the simulation components, all the public domain components, and dealing with just a much bigger uh, world, uh, basically evolving world, as opposed to just a small enclosed island environment. Um, basically, yeah, this, this, uh, we were talking, the previous guest talked about AI theories and things of this nature. Clearly there's a substantial AI component in there as well. Uh, modern AI basically is not, well, a whole series of areas, including VR as well, aren't really progressing in any direction quickly. The idea with having something like this uh, uh, publicly accessible was that uh, basically it would uh, uh, kind of transcend academia with regards to the progression. Um, so, uh, the communication issues uh, and the world-based issues um, are, are things which will evolve in the kind of second generation of the Nevada project. Uh, 